Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? This is Justin Peters. Welcome into the first episode of The Struggle is Real. After a year of creating conversation under the sandbox, I have decided to give this show a fresh makeover. The new show is going to have the same feel with amazing guests sharing their insights over an hour-long conversation, but I wanted to have a little bit more pointed direction with the show. Moving forward, each episode is going to address an issue that young adults will face throughout their 20s that wasn't discussed in the classroom. So that's going to lead us to conversations about personal finance, health and wellness, careers, relationships, both intimate and platonic. I'm excited to share with you the first episode, but before I do that, I just wanted to give a huge shout out and thanks to all of you that have supported me over the last year. I feel like the quality of the show is improving with each episode, and I really couldn't have done that without so many of you cheering me along, giving me the energy and the support to continue to show up each and every week. So I really appreciate it. And hopefully you'll stay engaged for the next chapter as I feel like it's only got to get better. Okay, on to today's episode though. As many of you know, we have to adapt to various personality styles within inside our workplace and have positive, productive relationships with these different people. That's what we're going to address in today's episode. My guests today are Brett Cooper and Evans Kirigan co-founders of Integris Performance Advisors, which focuses on improving team performance. They also co-authored the book, Solving the People Problem, subtitled Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. In their book and in this episode, Brett and Evans use their understanding of emotional intelligence and the DISC personality test to provide an easy model to follow called DISC EQ. This framework will help you communicate better, create more productive conflict, and successfully lead all different personalities in your workplace. I think this is a really useful episode for the emerging leaders out there, the new salespeople, and the customer service-focused individuals who frequently interact with various kinds of people. And honestly, just all of you that are looking to communicate better with your colleagues, clients, and vendors. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan. Brett, Evans, how are you guys doing? Doing great. Justin, how you doing? Not too bad. I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys today. You wrote a book, Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in Today's Workplace. I will channel my inner D and get straight into things and ask the question, what is the people problem? Well, it's a great question, Justin. It's a, it's a problem that, quite honestly, we all face. And I'll I'll, I'll cut to the chase and say that solving the people problem is about understanding and honoring the differences among us. So the problem itself is really the opposite of that, right? It's the lack of understanding. It's the lack of being able to honor the differences among us. As we were doing the book, we did a lot of research and we came across a study that looked at conflict in the workplace. And this study was a global study found that 49%, almost half of people around the world blame conflict, negative conflict in the workplace on clashes between personality styles. 
And that number actually goes up to 62% when we look at American workers. So 62% of American workers blame the conflict, the negative conflict that they experience in the workforce on personality clashes going like this. Mm. And to highlight this for your listeners, I'll give you, give you kind of a little example here. I'll talk about two people. We have a, a woman named Emily and a gentleman named Kevin, and they work together. Emily is a gregarious, outgoing, you know, kind of overly friendly kind of a person. And Kevin is a little bit more reserved, um, a little more private of an individual. They're both, they're both really smart. They're both really successful. They have great relationships both at work and outside of work. They have good relationships, good friendships and things like that. But at work, they struggle. They have problems with both understanding and honoring the differences between them. And I'll give you three specific examples of how Emily and Kevin run into this struggle. First one is Monday morning, right? Pre-COVID, they, uh, they, they got together in the, in the meeting room and had their Monday morning meeting. But for the last year, they've been having their, their Monday morning meetings with the team on Zoom, just like we're doing here. And right at the start, Emily loves to, to be you know, focused on, hey, so what'd y'all do for the weekend? And I did this and I had such a great time with these people. And you know, what did you do? Kevin, on the other hand, being a little more private, he's not all that interested. So when it comes around to him, they say, hey, you know, what did you do this weekend, Kevin? Uh, I hung out. Crickets, right? And uh, so right there, people problem scenario number one, Emily is frustrated at Kevin because she's like, you know, why don't you speak up? Why don't you share a little something? Come on, have some fun. Kevin is frustrated with Emily because he's thinking, okay, we're at work. You had your fun over the weekend. Can we get to work? So both of them are frustrated there. People problem example number one. So let's say they get past the Monday morning meeting and now they're working together on a project. Emily is this big picture thinker. She's looking at the opportunity. She's looking at the possibility. She thinks this project is going to end up being great for her, her customers and people are going to be excited about it. And she's all like, this is going to be so great. Let's move this thing forward. Kevin, on the other hand, he's more of a detailed thinker. He's not thinking about the big picture. He's thinking about, well, we got to make sure that we get this right. And if we're not careful, this is going to go wrong. And, you know, before we put this product out to market, we're going to want to make sure that every I is dotted and T is crossed. This is people problem example number two. Emily, again, is now frustrated with Kevin because she thinks he's just being a downer and being like, come on, you know, look at the big picture and let's get excited about this. Kevin is frustrated because he looks at Emily and says, all right, she's being unrealistic. She's being Pollyannish. Right? Scenario number three, they get past those differences. The project's a success. They get it out to market. Their boss says, I want to recognize the two of you. So at the next quarterly all-hands meeting, where they have the whole company on Zoom, the boss does a, uh, a whole introduction of both Emily and Kevin. Big fanfare, calling them out individually. How are Emily and Kevin feeling at this point? Emily's loving it, right? She's, she's this girl loves being on stage. She's like, this is great. I love my coworkers, you know, looking at me in this way. How's Kevin feeling? Yeah, probably not so good. Kevin's like, you know, I don't like the spotlight. This is the last thing from a reward 
that uh, that I could think of. So again, so the the idea of the people problem and solving the people problem and why we wrote the book is to help people understand, recognize, and honor those differences. So if we take our scenario there with Emily and Kevin, if Emily reads the book, she's going to understand that she needs someone like Kevin on her team. She needs, she'll, she'll start to understand that her big picture thinking is great for the possibilities and the ideation and things like that. But she will recognize that she actually has some, some shortcomings or some, some weakness areas that Kevin can actually fill in. Some of that detailed stuff that she doesn't like to do, Kevin's going to pick that up and enjoy it. And he's going to do it well. Kevin, if he reads the book, he's going to recognize that he needs Emily on his team. And that he should understand and honor what she brings to the table because he might be able to focus on the details and get the product just right. But without someone like Emily driving it forward and, and doing possibility thinking and getting it out to customers, the product's not going to be a success. And then if the boss reads the book, she's going to understand that leadership is really a relationship and that she's going to need to understand when I want to recognize Emily. I have to recognize Emily in the way that she wants to be re recognized. And Kevin probably appreciates something different. And so I need to address him in that way. So that is an example, bring it all back. The people problem is exactly what that scenario highlights. It's about the fact that people just generally speaking, struggle to both understand and recognize the differences between us and really honor those differences. And that's why we wrote the book. Mm. So before writing the book, you guys weren't authors by trade. How did you guys get into writing the book and what work did you do beforehand? Sure. So I'll, I'll take that, Brett. Um, so I'm Evans. Uh, I might be, you might actually identify that I'm a little bit less the gregarious member of this party here. Uh, Brett and I have actually worked together for about 20 years. Uh, we got started in a little bit different way. Uh, Brett was uh, working with a consulting firm and I came to work with them as one of the consultants. So Brett was helping set up business for that firm. I was as a consultant in the world of continuous improvement. So I went into different organizations uh, to try and help them improve their process, the efficiency and effectiveness of the processes they had inside. And some language that gets thrown around in, in these methodologies is things like Six Sigma or lean manufacturing. Uh, that's, that's really what we did as a consulting firm. We did a lot of work around that area. And one of the things that we found was we we're having great success with saving companies money, improving processes, improving service to customers. But we frequently kept having a question from them about how do we actually change the culture of our organization? How do, we, how do we make sure that this isn't just a project, but it's actually kind of how we think, how we carry on. And what we found was, although those continuous improvement tools were really helpful for organizations, they were missing talking about a couple of really major processes that we really need to look at. And those are the processes of leadership and of teamwork in those organizations. So we took a look and said, well, how can we kind of expand this and look a little bit differently? And, and where we were working at that time, they really weren't interested in pursuing that in a little bit different way. So Brett and I left to create uh, Integris in 2011. Mm -hmm. So quite a while ago now, almost a decade. And 
we said, you know, what we've got to find is we've got to find how do we help people understand this in a little bit different way, where it's not just about the tools, but about how we think, how we interact, how we communicate with one another. And, and that's where a lot of this work has come from, is trying to build up that ability, because what we found is if we can help people think differently, the quality tools actually become very easy for people to apply. And if we try to apply the quality tools without talking about the underlying thought process, communication process, and leadership process, it's really an uphill struggle for people to continue to grow and advance. So that, that's kind of how we came to this. We are not authors by trade. Uh, I had an interest in writing a book for a long period of time, just because I thought it would be an interesting thing, but I didn't really have a reason. Mm. And what we found was really a reason, because in working with our clients, we found that the stuff that we captured in this book has had a really significant impact for the people and the organizations that we've worked with and, and, and how people have been able to flourish and what people have told us about what they learned out of that process, we felt was just like too important for us to say, if we can come visit you, we can talk about this. We wanted to be able to get this word out to a lot more people. And that kind of gave us the reason for the impetus and the, and the interest and passion to actually put up with writing a book so we can actually share that message a little more broadly. Mm. So a major piece of the book is emotional intelligence. And I think a lot of listeners understand what emotional intelligence is, but let's start there. How do you guys define emotional intelligence? Sure. So uh, I like the definition that comes, I think it's from psychology today, that is, is emotional intelligence is simply uh, understanding and managing your own emotions and the emotions of others. So it's the ability to actually see kind of what's going on internally, both with yourself and with others, and then making decisions and choosing actions to actually support that. What we found is that emotional intelligence, the thought process has actually been out there and it goes all the way back to Greek philosophers, but in, in, in a serious way, we've really kind of looked at this over the last 30 years with a lot of people starting to do research on it and starting to see what actually emotional intelligence does for us, what kind of makes it up and, and how do we work and increase our skills in that area. So we frequently talk in terms of EQ, which is, you could say it's emotional quotient and kind of a cousin, if you will, to IQ, which we're all kind of familiar with that, in, that intelligence question, a way of measuring our, our, our IQ. Um, so EQ is like that in the definition, but it actually acts very, very differently. So based on some research that was done up at Harvard uh, a couple of decades ago, emotional intelligence actually has a bigger impact on your career success and your personal success than it, the IQ does. Right? The emotional intelligence actually is going to long term, it's going to deliver a better return than IQ or your technical skills, either one. As a matter of fact, almost twice as much in terms of how big that's going to be in advancing your career. So EQ is really important in that way. And, and it's really different from IQ in one other way that, that is really kind of important for everyone to understand. IQ is kind of set. You, you either have it or you don't. There's a little bit of movement you can do, but not a lot. EQ is completely unlike that. EQ is entirely a malleable thing. You can get better or you can get worse at your EQ over time, at your ability to actually apply emotional intelligence, be aware of yourself, 
and others, and actually to choose actions that work better in those scenarios. So if, if you think about it, EQ is kind of, it's the secret to a long-term successful career for yourself, both at work, but also for your life uh, in total, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a really powerful concept. And in looking at EQ, one of the things we found was, uh, as you said, Justin, people kind of understand it, but the thing they trip over is, so what do I do with that knowledge? I know I need to get better at this, but, but what are the steps I need to take? And that's actually kind of where we came about uh, putting together the book and kind of a framework for talking about that so that people could actually make leaps and bounds in moving forward in their EQ. Hey, Evans, we have an emotional intelligence survey available to Justin's listeners. Can, mm -hmm. can you tell people how to get to that and, and, and sure. how they would do that? Sure. Um, so we put together a, a survey based around a model that we have around emotional intelligence, and it's at our website, solvingthepeopleproblem.com. And if you go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com, you can click on a little box that says, what's my disk EQ? That box will take you to the survey. And in the survey, if you type in the code struggle for this podcast, you can take that survey for free. And that survey is going to give you actually uh, results as well as some ideas on what you can do to step forward and increase your emotional intelligence from where you are right now. So that's just an offering for anybody who's uh, watching this podcast. Yeah. And I went out to the website and took the survey as well. It didn't take very long, maybe 15 minutes, if that. And mm -hmm. it gave me, I think like 16 pages of notes to review and read and what areas I do well, what areas I need to consider improving on. And I thought it was really helpful. From your perspective, Evans, you've, you've been in the workplace a little bit longer than I have. Um, when, when did the topic of emotional intelligence start coming about? Or when did the, the word or the concept maybe come to light? Okay, so Justin, you were being very kind because you could have actually <laughs> said, you've been in the workforce longer than I've been alive, but thank you. Um, the, the concept really started to be discussed seriously in academic circles in the 70s and 80s. And the kind of the, the big book that caught everybody's attention was Daniel Goleman wrote about emotional intelligence. And that's where some of that original research around what its impact was going to be on your career success kind of came about, right? The fact that although EQ and IQ might sound the same, in many ways, EQ is going to be more like your technical skills, right? It's something that you develop by conscious practice, but you can actually grow and change over time. Um, so it's really a relatively recent concept, but more and more what we're seeing is uh, companies and organizations taking it much, much more seriously as they're realizing that not only is that a great skill for people to learn along the way, but when people don't get better at it, at some point, it's going to become problematic for an organization as well. Yeah. Um, we, we do some executive coaching, and part of the reason we do executive coaching, we're called in when companies have somebody who's risen to a level in an organization and their emotional intelligence has become, it has become too painful for the organization to deal with. So it's the, uh, we have to give you a full ride scholarship to go somewhere else, or you've got to find a way to change your behavior and learn to deal with people a little bit better. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I went through business school 2011 through 2016, and I heard the concepts of emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. the comparison to IQ and this um, hard skill versus soft skill debate as well. But I was always left flat, like you mentioned earlier with, okay, now what do I do? And I'd never seen it framed like you guys frame it with a personality test. So mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. put a scale to it. Can, um, I don't know, Brett or Evans, which one of you want to take this, but can you give me a quick breakdown of the DISC model? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do that for you, Justin. And and you're spot on. The I think the contribution that this book is making to the world of emotional intelligence is exactly that. It, it provides a further how-to, what now, what do I do to increase my emotional intelligence so that I can better understand and honor the differences uh, among those around me. And so what we've done is we have taken this personality styles assessment or model called DISC and married it up with the idea of emotional intelligence. So if you think about emotional intelligence using the description that Evans gave around, it's, it's about you know understanding your own style and then using that to make better decisions and understanding the styles of others and using that to adapt your behavior. What we do is we take DISC and we help people understand, okay, well, what are those different personality styles that are out there? And how can I learn more about those so that I can make better decisions and adapt my behavior? So DISC is actually a framework that was originally created back in 1928. So it's almost 100 years old and it's, it's, it's gone through a lot of evolution over that time frame. But the core idea of it is that there are these four primary personality styles that exist in the population of people. And everybody, everybody has a little bit of, of kind of every style in them, but we tend to have one of these that is really the most robust. And the way I like to explain uh, what DISC is from the perspective of getting people to be able to think about what their DISC style is. We, DISC is built around these, these two spectrums or these two dimensions of human behavior. The, the first is how outgoing are you versus how kind of reserved are you? So in, in my example, uh, when, I, when we started off this, we talked about Emily and Kevin. Emily is that very outgoing, fast-paced kind of an individual, whereas Kevin is much more reserved, much more cautious when it comes to new ideas. So that's one spectrum that people can be on. And then the other spectrum is, are you more focused on relationships and being accepting of new ideas and new people, or are you more skeptical? of new ideas and of people and, and things like that. And so going again, back to Emily and Kevin, Emily is very much on that, that very accepting of people, right? She wants to get into people's personal lives. She wants to share her own personality uh, or her own personal life. So she's very accepting of new people. Kevin, you know, he's, he's about facts and data. He's like, you know, I'll believe it when, when you prove it to me. So he's more on that skeptical side. And what this does is it takes those, two spectrums and then puts them together, puts them together as a cross. So if you think, if, if your listeners uh, can visualize a, a circle with a cross right in the middle of it, up at the top half of the circle, those are the, the outgoing, the fast paced people. And on the lower half of the circle, we have the more reserved people. 
then you're still looking at that circle. If you look at the left side of the circle, that's your more skeptical people. That's where Kevin is over on that side. It's more, more skeptical. And then if you look at the right side of the circle, the people are going to be more accepting and warm uh, when it comes to new ideas and new people. So you'll see, hopefully in your mind, that we've now created a circle with four quadrants. And so in the upper left-hand corner, we have a quadrant that we call D. So DISC is, a, is an acronym. And so it's the four personality styles. So in the upper left, we have the D quadrant, which stands for dominance. And people in the dominance category are fast-paced and more skeptical. And they really focus on driving results. They challenge ideas. And they're, they're pretty fast-paced. If you go over to the right, the upper right uh, quadrant, we have the I category, which stands for influence. Now, these people are also fast-paced but they're more focused on that accept being accepting of, of people. So they're a little more gregarious. They're a little more uh, collaborative. They're a little bit more excitable, if you will, than those folks on the D side. If we keep going around the circle and we go down to the lower um, uh, right, the lower right corner, we have people that are accepting, but they're a little bit more reserved. That's where we have the S category, which is the steadiness category. These people are really supportive of others. They very frequently put other people's needs in front of their own. And they're, they, they, they prefer more stability than, uh, than rapid change. Uh, and then if we go to the lower left-hand corner, the final of the four quadrants, we have the C category, which is conscientiousness. Conscientious, conscientiousness people are more reserved, like their S colleagues, and they're more skeptical like their D colleagues. So these are the folks like Kevin in my earlier example, really focus on facts and data, wanna get things right. They're, they're, they're really focused on accuracy and they're a little more private. And so what we've done is we've taken that model of DISC and married it up with emotional intelligence. And throughout the book, we give chapter by chapter examples, stories, and specific guidance on giving people an opportunity to first understand their own style, understand the other styles, and then use that information to be able to, uh, again, be in a better position to be able to make better decisions and adapt their behavior. And I'll tell you, one of the things that was so exciting for me, and I, I think Evans, this was exciting for you too, as we were writing this book, we, we wanted this to be real practical. So we knew it couldn't be just Brett and Evans riffing off about what we've experienced, what we believe. So we reached out to a whole bunch of people and we basically said, hey, tell us your stories. Tell us your stories about emotional intelligence and tell us your stories about the struggles that you've had in the workplace, kind of like Kevin and, and, and Emily. And tell us how, how, how you overcame some of that kind of stuff. Some of these, these folks are, are uh, people that we've worked with. And so they already were familiar with DISC and others uh, did, didn't have that background just yet. But we have, col we collected story after story after story. And there's a good number of them in the book about how the understanding of that DISC model was, uh, was really what led people to being able to understand and honor those differences. Because what we found is that when people took the time to recognize oh, okay, that person is really, you know, uh, um, excited and enthusiastic, not just because they're just a bubbly person, but because that's how they're naturally wired. And let's use that. 
right? I'm not going to get frustrated for that. You know, let's, let's honor that that's how they are and, and let's embrace that. Or, you know, somebody isn't being, uh, you know, cutting to the chase and just trying to push, push, push just because they're being a jerk. It's no, they're wired and they're really focused on driving results. And what happens is when we can get all parties involved in these interactions, Justin, when we get them all understanding and honoring the differences, what we find is that people start to come towards each other. So again, I'll go back to Emily and Kevin. If you know, in that kind of scenario, when Emily starts to understand what Kevin is all about and understand the the upside of Kevin's style, she can you know make room for him rather than just talking over him all the time. She can kind of quiet down and say, "Kevin, tell me what you think. I really want to know." And where where could this go wrong? And Kevin, for his part, can kind of say, all right, you know, I know you really want to get into the personal stuff. I'm, I'm not going to be an open book like you are, Emily, but I'll tell you a little bit and we'll kind of meet in the middle. And it's been a fantastic journey for us to see how marrying DISC with emotional intelligence has led to people having these breakthroughs, these, these aha moments that uh, just help people really get to that next level in their personal life and in their work life. So Brett, great info. Let me just add a couple other things that I think really kind of tie into this. Um, one of them is that DISC actually gives people a language to look at their emotions and to understand them better. And I think that's a really important concept because I think back to what you said, Justin, a lot of us may have started to hear this in school. We did not hear this in school when I was going through. But a lot of us are starting to hear this in school, but we don't actually have the language to be able to make those moves. And once I have the language, I can better identify what's really happening and how I can react to it. There was a study done that looked at emotional intelligence, that uh, looked at how people identify their own emotional intelligence, and people identified themselves as having high levels of emotional intelligence. But the same study found that they actually couldn't even identify their own emotions unless they were really powerful emotions. So... So what we think we are in terms of our emotional intelligence and where we may actually come across to others can frequently be really different things. Mm -hmm. So by giving us a language, we can actually start to take that apart a little bit better. And I think one of the wonderful things about the DISC model is it takes the emotion out of it. It's not who's right and wrong. It's that we come at this from different places because we're different people. And for any of us, everybody we're going to interact with is different from us. They're not right and we're, we're not right and they're not wrong. They're just, we're different. We have to understand that. And that's what actually opens our eyes, not only for being able to deal with them better, but for being able to help ourselves continue to grow and mature and get better at what we do. So I, I think there's really a couple of key things there. It sounds really simple, but a couple of key things that really have a big impact for us in our lives. And I, I, I just have to add in right now, if, if I can, for any listener, listeners are thinking emotional intelligence, this sounds touchy feely. I'm not emotional. I don't react emotionally. I want to clarify for everybody that this is not about do you react, quote unquote, emotionally, right? It's not about, oh, that person is reacting emotionally. What we're talking about here is the science of emotion versus rational thought. And the fact is our brains are wired in such a way that our emotions are what trigger the vast majority of how we react 
to new situations, right? We, this goes all the way back to caveman times, right? It's, it's, Hey, I got a saber tooth tiger chasing me. I don't have time to think about "Mm, what am I going to do? Right. We got this fight or flight. We have emotions. We have, we have to move. And unfortunately our brains have not evolved as quickly as our work styles. So yeah, it was really helpful when we're, you know, running out of a cave away from a saber tooth tiger. Unfortunately, this still is what drives us when we're sitting in a boardroom or we're sitting in a team meeting. So uh, I, I just wanted to put that caveat out there. So for anybody who's thinking emotional intelligence, that, that doesn't apply to me because it's squishy and soft. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about human dynamics. So I don't care who you are. This applies to you. So I think we actually have most of the wheel here covered in this conversation. I'm definitely a left-hand side. I kind of, I'm a cusper in between a D and an I. I see a lot of both of those traits when I was reading along in the book and um, reading some of the examples and some of the pitfalls of the different personalities. I I knew I was like, oh yeah, definitely a D or, an I, or a D or a C depending on the day. What about you guys? Well, I'm actually right, right pretty much where you are. I'm in the D or I'm sorry, in the I category as the primary area, but I'm close to the line on the D. So mm-hmm. I am, uh, as, as Evans will probably tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much on the edge as far as fast paced and energetic, uh, in, in college, all my buddies call me the energizer bunny. And I don't think that's uh, <laughs> gone away at all. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm more focused on, on people and, uh, and relationships and collaborations, but I've, I've gotten pretty focused on, all right, we got to get the job done here. So, so I'm up in that I, a little close to the D category. How about you, Evans? Yeah, when Brett says uh, he is on the edge of that circle, he may have fallen off the edge. <laughs> I'm going to be, just to be honest, um, it, I am actually down in that S quadrant. I'm in that steadiness quadrant. Uh, not, not very far down, I'm, I'm closer to the midline in terms of the outgoing versus the reserved, uh, but definitely on that people side. Uh, I do want everybody to get along, to be happy. Um, I handle change pretty well, though I don't think that is my natural style. I think that part of that's learned behavior over time, right? We all have the ability to grow and develop ourselves a little bit, but yeah, my natural style, I'm I'm cool if we have a nice day and plans go according to plan. Um, I don't like to necessarily do all the super detailed work. Uh, one of the interesting challenges for us as a small company uh, with, with Brett throwing out ideas all the time and with my desire to do big things, but uh, not really as focused on the details all the time we need somebody to hold us accountable. So we do actually have somebody who's down in that bottom left quadrant, um, really into, I've got to make sure it's all done kind of correctly. Um, and, and, and that's really important to us because we're both really unstructured. We need somebody who can give us that structure or, or we could run into trouble. So, so it's really about that understanding those differences, being able to really honor those differences, as Brett said. That, that's kind of the, the code word for us is not even enough to just see them. It's to actually say, you know what? There's real value there. How do I make mm-hmm. sure I get that value? How do I how do I adapt my own behavior so that we can all uh, be much more successful? Yeah, so thankfully, I, I I joke with Brett all the time. Um, our difference in leadership styles is uh, he's a talk it through leader and I am a think it through leader. And and what that means is that I 
think some of the sentences he starts, he does not know how they're going to end. Um, he, it will come along during the sentence. I'm much more likely to sit back a little bit, try and figure out what that is before I share that. So I think I want to segue this conversation out of the history and the understanding of DISC and, and, and EQ, just like you guys did in the book. You guys teed it up well. Your, your first you know, third of the book was all about some of the history and the science and, and all of this. And then you get really, really tactical really fast. And you jump into communication and productive conflict and working in the team space and working with people outside the team space. And I want to spend the back half of our conversation jumping into some of those things. So one of the quotes that I really loved in the book was um, from Simon, Simon Sinek, and you guys quoted him as, communication is not about speaking what we think. Communication is about ensuring others hear what we mean. Can you guys expand on that? Yeah, that's, that's actually one of my favorites as well, Justin. It's, it's it's really important, and I, I actually heard about it before I ever heard it from Simon, but he says it really well. Um, when I was back in school, back in the dark ages, um, I had a communications professor who said, communication is not what you say. It's what the other per party hears. It's about what's received, not what's sent. And, and that is so critical for all of us, and it really plays into this style aspect, because all too often, we expect that other people are going to react and hear and what we say because they are like us and they're not. It, it's really about helping ourselves get past the golden real rule we've all heard of, right? Treat others as, as you want to be treated mm. to the platinum rule where, where it's treat others as they want to be treated, right? If, if I'm making sure that I understand what they need in a communication, I can craft a message in a way that they can actually hear it. And then we can have a more honest conversation about what's going on. Um, at times, this gets so awkward, I'll be honest, working with people, Justin, I have had to break up what I would call a collective monologue, where I've got two people who are arguing with one another, but they're, they're arguing the same thing, but their language is different. They're both so busy trying to make their own point. Neither one of them can hear the other party, hmm. right? It really is about understanding our communication, not as what I'm going to say, but what's the message I can get across and what do they need to hear so that they can understand that message. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that aspect to it as well, because it, you know, wasn't necessarily just understanding yourself, but understanding other people. Yeah. So it's great to know your own letter, but the people that you work closely with or your clients or your vendors that, that you might be in close contact with as well, maybe starting to understand what what letters they are and how that might affect the communication or how you communicate with them. I thought that was really great. You guys also mentioned something about unproductive conflict versus productive conflict. Um, Brett, can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So conflict in the workplace can be either productive or negative. And if you think about what most people, when they think of the word conflict, uh, if, if I were to ask all of your listeners right now, hey, you know, what words come to mind? Things like, you know, war and frustration and, uh, you know, uh, anger. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that tend to come to mind in conflict. And yes, that is one kind of conflict. Um, there's also another kind of negative conflict. And negative, another kind of negative conflict is when you know, people aren't, aren't talking, that passive aggressive 
kind of conflict where it's, it's, it's again, it's driven by negative behavior towards other people. And we would argue that there is no place for that kind of conflict in the workplace or quite honestly, even in personal relationships. What is very valuable and in fact required if you're going to be working together with anybody is what we call productive conflict. Productive conflict is the conflict around ideas. It's getting people to be talking about a topic and coming together with, hey, we could do this or we could do that. Here are the pros and cons of these different options. Let's, let's vigorously and passionately debate these ideas so that we can get to the truth or get to the answer that we think is going to move us forward. And even if you don't have the certainty, even, even if a couple of people can't get to the point where they say, you know, this is absolutely 100% going to be the right answer and, uh, you know, no questions asked. What we want to drive people, what we want people to drive to is getting to uh, th this point where they're, they're able to at least agree and commit to a course of action. So the idea around productive conflict is we want people coming together, being really respectful of their different personality styles, their different communication preferences, and open to the different you know, points of view that they bring, and then debate those ideas and ultimately get to a point of saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And we're all committed to making sure that's what we do. Evans, do you have something to add to the productive and unproductive conflict conversation? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it, it, so Brett's described kind of what they what both are, right? But productive conflict, it's necessary. It's the only way in which things move forward in an organization, right? We have to be able to challenge one another's ideas. But I'm guessing off of our conversation already, people could see without emotional intelligence, without that ability to understand myself and how I might be coming across, as well as to understand what the other parties might need in that conversation and where they might be coming from. Productive conflict gets, it's a minefield. It gets really dangerous to do that because really quickly we go from arguing about the best idea to arguing about each other. Mm. It, it, it becomes personal really easily. And, and the reality is even with good teams, even with, even with folks who have pretty good emotional intelligence, we may trip over that line occasionally but we've got the emotional intelligence to say, hey, you know what? I spoke out of turn. That I, I was wrong on that. I, I overstepped. We've got the ability to actually react and, and take the temperature down enough so we can actually get the work done. And the reality is all of us have probably been in situations, no matter how early you are in your career, where there were things that got really tense in a meeting that didn't need to. They got tense because we couldn't actually hear one another. We couldn't adapt. We didn't have that emotional intelligence to handle the conversation as well as we could. And we made little issues into really big issues, or we created issues where there shouldn't have even been any. Mm. So it, it's, it's that emotional intelligence that actually is going to enable us to get to productive conflict. And, and it's just saying that, you know what, we really need to be able to challenge one another because that's how progress is going to be made. Yeah. I, I want to speak on the other side and um, with tense conversations, it's one thing, but actually there, I've been in a lot of conversations, a lot of um, idea generating meetings where it was actually untense and 
I saw a lot of groupthink and two or three people dominate the conversation, probably D's and I's like Brett, uh, and a lot of Evans sitting in the back, not speaking up. So I, I loved this concept that you guys had in the book of this step up and step back approach. Can you briefly explain that? Yeah. I'll take that. It was, actually, it was one of my clients that actually came up with it. I, we can't take credit for having come up with that idea first. Uh, they did. It was an IT group and uh, good sized group, 17 people on the team. Uh, and like two or three people was the whole conversation. Um, it was it was a couple of people on the top of that circle and everybody else, a bunch of programmers, kind of at the bottom of that circle. And they were having they were having a lot of different struggles. Uh, one of the ways those struggles came out with was they had meetings that were very calm. Um, and yes, you know, you know, they might brainstorm ideas and they get a nice long list and they would work. And then the other 14 members of the team, a little later on, would say, you know what, I really wish we could have participated in that meeting. And, and it's, if we're not aware of those styles, we cause a lot of problems. So this team decided they were gonna take action on it because we were talking about it and, and they actually created a little rule, step up and step back. And they made it, uh, it's part of their ground rules for their team. If you see a few people dominating the conversation, anybody on the team can say, hey, wait a minute, I think it's time we need to step back. We're not hearing from the team. Everybody on the team is really intelligent. They've all got good ideas to share, but some styles are more likely to wait for space to share and other styles are likely to take up all the space. If all the options is gone, those ideas are never gonna come out. So at the same time that some people need to be willing to step back, it's not saying that those people did something wrong those of us who are a little bit quieter, we need to actually step up. We're in there to provide value. So even if it might not be as comfortable to push a little bit, we need to be willing to step up. And again, anybody on the team can actually kind of call out that ground rule and say, you know, is there anything you want to add? We're going to kind of, kind of try and draw you out. They have found that over time, they don't need to do that anywhere near as often as they first did. Because mm. part of this is just building that awareness, building that muscle and say, you know what, that corner of the table over there, they always got some really good stuff, but we don't hear from them. You know, so it, it's become a little bit less formal than it was when they started, but it raised the awareness. They all got a little bit more sensitive to it, aware of it and saw what was going on. Hmm. Actually, it was really funny. I had a team just two months ago, Justin, I was talking with and um, the team leader and uh, was saying, you know, our meetings are going pretty well. And a couple of other members of the team said the same thing. And a couple, one of the team members said, you know what, I've got to be honest, the last four times that we've done any kind of brainstorming with this team, we've done any idea generation, only three people have talked. And, and the team leader got a little bit embarrassed. But the team leader wasn't as embarrassed about the fact that that's but it occurred as the fact that she hadn't even noticed it. Mm. She wasn't even aware that most of her team hadn't contributed to those because they didn't feel like there was space. They got excited about ideas. They got stuff up. And then it was like, let's, let's go try and implement this thing. Mm. Sometimes we, we've, we've got to be aware of our communication styles. Google actually did some, I think it was Google who did some research that said uh, in most meetings, it's two or three people are going to spend 85% of the available airtime no matter the size of the team. So if, if that's what's happening 
and I've got a decent sized team, I'm missing the contributions of a lot of members of that team. And, and it can't be up to them to say, okay, I'm going to wrestle you to the ground so I can speak. Yeah, We all need to be a little bit more aware of that. And I'll, I'll say that I, I think this is, is one of those nuggets that anybody listening to this, this show, uh, if you can understand this and, and do something about it, no matter where you are, you're going to be more effective. So as one of those guys that's on the fast-paced, talkative side, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let your listeners in on a, a little secret. So half the people listening will be like, oh, yep, that's definitely right. And other people will be like, what? I had no idea that was the case. So those of us who are, are the more fast-paced, talkative, when the meeting goes silent and there's this, this quiet where others are you know, thinking, pondering, and it's just quiet, that gets really uncomfortable. You know, if, if you're a talkative, fast-paced person, we, we tend not to like that silence, right? It's, we, we get really uncomfortable. Like if we're at a dinner meeting, let's say, and just, you know, there's a pause in the conversation. We're the ones that like chime in. So, hey, how about this? And we don't do that necessarily because we have to be the center of attention, but it's because we hear that silence and we, it's, it's like a, a vacuum, right? It's like the energy being sucked out. And we're like, oh, we got to put some energy back in this thing because it's going crazy. Well, on the other side, one of the things that I've learned through you know, the, the work that I've done and quite honestly, you know, working with Evans and, and, and just improving my own emotional intelligence, recognizing you know, that's the space that half of us, you know, the, the, the other half, uh, with a different style, that's the, that's the time, that's the space that people need to pause, reflect, think before they say something. So this idea of step up or step back, if, if, if you get nothing beyond this out of this conversation, if you are one of those people that is you know, filling the, the first to fill the, the quiet space, step back and see what happens. Bite your tongue. It's going to be uncomfortable but let other people step into that space and see what happens. Likewise, if you are one of those people that doesn't speak up, if, if the other people kind of step back for a second and give you that opportunity, get out of your own com comfort zone and step up a little bit as well because your ideas are equally as valuable and they're going to move the you know the team forward or the discussion forward. So it it, it this is is part of that whole you know it's not enough just to understand your own style. It's got you have to recognize and you have to honor the styles of others, and we have to work together to make sure that communication is a two way street. Yeah, and that's why I really enjoyed your guys's book. This is a great book, I think, for emerging leaders that are first-time managers that are trying to understand some of these things. Because you're right, you put some language around it. And now, once I see my team of five, and I have a few D's and an I, and here's this this S and the C. Now I need to know. Now I know mentally in my head. Oh, make sure that this S and the C are equally contributing. And on occasion, I might need to pull back my D's and my I's, allowing the other group to uh, share what their thoughts are. And like another really simple thing that I never thought about was just sharing the agenda and the meeting materials a day before, because the S and the C's need some time to process and to think about you know what they're going to say. They are the think before they speak, not the talk it through kind of people. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of your guys' book. We didn't touch on all of the things I wanted to touch on here, um, but I think it's a great teaser for if you are interested in this, um, 
if you like personality tests, if you're an emerging leader, if you're a, a young salesperson, I think these uh, this book is is a must read to start understanding yourself, the people on your team, the people that you're working with, prospective clients and vendors that you also might be working with. So as we're concluding this conversation, can you give the link for people to take that assessment one more time? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just like with the book. It's called solvingthepeopleproblem.com. And you just look for the link that says, what's my disk EQ? Click the what's my disk EQ. You get taken right to the emotional intelligence survey. And then in the access code, enter the word struggle. Cool. And what about the book? And you also have some supporting material for the book. Where can people find that? Yeah, the book, uh, go, going to solvingthepeopleproblem.com uh, will give you access to uh, you know, different ideas. We, we share different information on there. We have, uh, we'll put this podcast on there once it's, uh, once it's ready. And there's some other information there as well. Uh, Amazon has the book as well. Matter of fact, we were fortunate enough to become a number one bestseller on yes. Amazon. And so that's where we get most of uh, people purchasing. It's available in paperback, in an ebook in a hardcover, and it's just now becoming available as a, um, an audiobook as well. It's not on uh, Audible just yet. It's been submitted, but it is available on Google uh, audiobooks and, and other audiobook uh, locations as well. Awesome. So my final question for you guys, there's a lot of lessons we learn through our 20s, and um, some of those are great, and some we hope that we can learn ahead of time from our older siblings or our parents. If you guys were now freshman seminar instructors in charge of teaching a 16-week class to a group of freshmen about any topic or concept that you guys think are important for the next uh, decade, what class would you teach and how would you teach it? Well, actually, Justin, I'd be having the discussion we're having today. To be perfectly honest, um, I have had a long career. I've done a lot of stuff uh, in a lot of different places, from flying in the Air Force to working in several different corporations to a lot of different things. But, but if I learned what I've learned around emotional intelligence, actually probably in the last 15 to 20 years, when I was in my 20s, I would have taken a different path and I would have had a lot more opportunities in different places not just in what I did inside of organizations themselves, but I think in life in general. There are people I got along with along the way, et cetera, but there, all of those relationships would have been that much reach, richer and deeper. And uh, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about much today, but uh, I've always believed that, that kind of leadership is about our relationships, right? Leadership is how we work with others and how how that relationship works is, is going to drive what we're able to accomplish. And, and I think the more that we understand emotional intelligence, both ourselves and what we do well and what we need to get a little bit better at, as well as being able to understand, appreciate, and honor the differences with other people, that, that's actually the secret to me. More than any technical skills I can pick up, it's those skills. Because those skills are what, what's going to enable you to grow wherever your career takes you. Um, so I, for me, it would be really around this emotional intelligence, get in touch with who you are, what works for you and how you can increase that ability to work with all kinds of different people. Cause trust me, 
you're going to keep finding all kinds of different people. And Evans, um, one final quick story, if you could. I know one of yeah. your guest speakers, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not, but the CEO at the financial firm that you first worked at out of the Air Force. Can you briefly yeah. tell that story? Yeah, so I had the I had the opportunity to work in financial services right after I got out of the Air Force, a mutual fund company, um, privately owned. Uh, the, the owner had started that company on a shoestring. He borrowed some money to start a company. He was on the Forbes 400 list when I first met him. Um, and we had a we had a company that was growing very rapidly and very, very successful. Uh, but the thing that always stuck with me uh, uh, about him was how much he cared for everybody in that organization. And, and I'll just share a couple of really quick little snippets of, of what, what I mean with this. Uh, Here's a guy on the Forbes 400 list who ate in the company cafeteria every day that he was in town and did not sit with executives. He always sat with a line team. He would, he would sit down with a group from customer service or group from account service or wherever. He would sit down with them. He had his brown bag lunch. Um, he had an apple. He'd have a pen knife so he could cut the apple. He was a lot of pen knife in the building. It was his anyway. Um, but, but he always, he wanted to know who people were and he knew everybody by name. And, and, and it's that personal connection. That company was put under a lot of pressure at different times. We all knew who we worked for. And I never saw him speak at a company function without us kind of getting tears in his eyes because for him, that company, which ended up growing to a few thousand people, that was family. That was the connection that he made. So when, when I say leadership is relationship, that's what I mean. I, he was a person who had an amazing impact on my life and, and somebody that I, I aspire to act like in, in whatever way I can. He's, uh, and it's not because he was a great stock picker, though he was. It's because of the relationships he created, the people he cared for and how that love really kind of came through. We didn't use that word in the 80s, but it's really what it was. And, and leadership is about how you can actually work with people and how you care for people. Um, and, and yeah, so it's very impactful. Thank you for asking, Justin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brett Evans, I appreciate you guys so much for coming on the show. Thank you for writing this book. And I really hope that we stay connected moving forward. Absolutely. Thanks for having yeah, us. That sounds great. Yeah, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.